Well, we is live on Instagram. What's up, Instagram? What's up, YouTube? <clears throat> How are y'all doing today? Look, it is 3.43 in the evening, so I know some people are probably just getting up. Some people are still at work, but you'll see this when you see this, okay? Uh, it has been a while since I have seen any of y'all. <laughs> A lot has gone on. So for some of y'all who probably don't know, I graduated with my master's. Yay! Right? Have a master's. And now I am going into the workforce to actually get a job. <laughs> Exciting things, right? <laughs> but, you know, it is a life. So, um... Let's just jump into it, right? Lord, thank you for allowing us to come together today to just have fun and to chit-chat a little bit. Um, speak, be with us, speak through us, uh, and lace our words with salt, as Ephesians 4.29 declares. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I have my trusty bottle of water because, you know, I like to stay hydrated. Um, and with a lot of talking, I'm probably going to need this. So, let's get on into it. So, if you have your Bibles, as you know, this is a, a Bible study for me. Uh, and it, it, it helps me, I think, in my way of uh, being a better teacher, being a better, a better Bible student, a better... Uh, reader of the word. While yes, I have a degree in it and a master's in it, um, I think doing this is still a form of practice, right? So, come on and journey with me, if you will, to the book of Luke. Um, I'm reading out of my handy dandy, trusty, ripped up and dusty Bible. I've had this for ten years um, since 2012. I think, I think 2012. Uh, I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Bible. Um, and it reads, uh, verse 25, Just then an expert of the law stood up to test him, talking about Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Well, what does the law say? Asked Jesus. Uh, have you read it? The teacher said, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Can you just imagine that, like, you know, you being test worthy, you testing somebody, and you, you know, you being a smart aleck, and you're like, well, it says to do this, and do this, and do this, and do this, right? And, you know, Jesus is just so, he's so nonchalant. He's like, okay, you you, you did that, friend. You did that. Right? He says, uh, do this and you will live. Right? Like, Jesus not bothered. Jesus is like, well, you, you got all the answers. So, there ain't no need for me to continue. Like, do what you know to do. And I promise you, you'll get into heaven. And, you know, he went on his way eating with his friends. Right? But the Bible tells us that, you know, not being justified, right? So, verse 29 says, But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Well, who was my neighbor? Right? 
And we've, we've all been there when we want to justify ourselves. We just like, well, like, bro, what? And, you know, using my spiritual imagination, I'm pretty sure he, he saw the people around him, you know, whispering like, oh, my God, Jesus ain't, da, 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 da. Jesus ain't even engaged in the conversation. Like, what? Like, you, 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 using my spiritual eye, you probably saw that he probably saw that going on. And he was like, oh, no, Jesus is not about to punk me, right? So he was like, well, then who my neighbor, bro? Right? You know, you know how, that, how, we, how we do as people. And so Jesus being Jesus and not really, you know, wanting to, you know. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is petty. <laughs> Jesus is petty. I love Jesus. He's sweet. He's kind. But there are times Jesus is petty. And Jesus is thinking, well... I ain't trying to do nothing, but says you want to go there, let's go, right? And he says here, he says, um, it says, Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving his body half dead. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving his body half dead. That's four things. That, that's four things already. Jesus laid it on thick, right? He says a priest happened to walk by down the road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. In the same way... A Levite saw him, and when he arrived, he passed by on the other side. A Samaritan came while on his journey, saw him, and when he saw the man, he was moved with compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wound. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal. Another um, translation says donkey. The King James translation says ass. Right? Um, just for reference. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. Gave them to the innkeeper. And said take care of him. When I return, I will reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Right? So Jesus asked, which of the three do you think provided or proved, sorry, to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed him mercy, said the Pharisee. Like, can you see that? Like, you just got a whole story lesson, right? You being prideful, wanting to justify yourself, and then once you, you know, you didn't heat it down from the story, and it's like, right, right, right. And so now it's like, no, you had all this mouth to say. Speak up. Who do you think? Who do you think was the best player in the game that provided care and compassion for this dude, right? <laughs> but even Jesus heard him and said, oh, you answered the question. So now, 
go and do the same. Right? He said, who do you think proved to be the best neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one that showed him mercy, said the Pharisee. Which Jesus replied, go and do the same. Right? Actually, no, I'm just going to leave that here. So, um, if I can talk from the topic, Instagram, you are, you guys are propped up on my, my computer. So, I'm reading what I have written down, but you're propped up on my laptop. So, you'll be moving with me while, um, while I'm talking. Sorry. YouTube, y'all are good. Y'all being recorded on my iPad. <laughs> right? So, if I could talk from the topic, it is what is in your heart. Right? So, here's the question. When you see someone of a different skin color, when you see someone of a different ethnicity, when you hear about somebody that uh, was raised different than you as far as religious beliefs and ideological beliefs, uh, when you see someone living a different lifestyle than you, right? What is the first thing that you think of? When someone else listens to a different genre of music than you, what is your perception of them? And so in this evening's lesson, right, we are going to tackle the most ignored issue of not just the world, but of the church. It is the issue of respect and racism, right? So Dr. Martin Luther King, one of the most prolific figures in African-American history and for African-American people, wrote this in his letter, Letters from a Birmingham Jail. To use the words of Martin Buber, the great Jewish philosopher, segregation substitutes an I-it relationship for the I-thou relationship, right, and ends up regulating persons to the status of things. So, segregation is not only politically, economically, and sociologically unsound, but it is morally wrong and sinful. So, I have three questions for you to ask you throughout this teaching that I really want you to ponder on as we dive into the story of the Good Samaritan. And here's the first question. Where do your morals lie? The Webster Dictionary defines morals as a lesson, especially one concerning what is right or prudent, that can be derived from a story or a piece of information or an experience or a person's attitude of behavior or beliefs concerning what is and is not acceptable for them to do, right? That's what morality, that's what morals mean. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, we see another example of morals in the form of a house party. In this story, the religious leaders are casting major judgment and hatred towards someone of their own kind. 
who happens to also be Jewish. To which Jesus rebukes them, right? And asks them a question about morals in the form of alone being forgiven. So here's some background. Um, while the Pharisees and the religious leaders are condemning this woman, saying she's a harlot, she, you know, she does adult entertainment on the side to make some money, because da-da-da-da-da, like they air all her business out and everything, right? And, but they're also thinking, like, Jesus, you is a scholar of the word. You are, uh, uh, you are, uh, you, you know this word. You know this word. You're a scholar of the word. Why would you let this horrible woman touch you? Why would you even let her near you, right? And Jesus said, okay, well, since that's what you want to do, here's the question. If someone with a big loan has to repay it, but someone with a smaller loan also has to repay it, right? And they're both forgiven. Who do you think is going to be more grateful for their loan being forgiven? That's going to then uh, 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 make it, make, make it, a known fact for them to never do something like this again. Who do you think is going to have more gratitude for their loans being forgiven? And the Pharisee says, well, the one that was forgiven for the bigger loan, right? And then Jesus says, um, he, he goes on to, to describe what's happening in front of them right now. He's like, this woman who is bathing my 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 feet in her tears and perfume? That is wiping my feet with her hair. Her debt has been forgiven. Every sin she's done, every evil thing she's done, even whoever she got up with this morning before she went to work or before she went and decided to go to church, whatever she's done, it is forgiven, right? And so. Let me, let me stick to my manuscript. <laughs> let me stick to my manuscript. Um, right? So then Jesus goes on to describe what is happening before them and tells them that the lady who is causing a disturbance at the party is the one whose morals have the biggest impact on her life than the religious leaders themselves. Right? And so Jesus is like, y'all are religious leaders and scholars. Y'all are also prideful. Y'all are also sinful. Y'all are very judgmental. Right? And you have a debt. He said, but your debt compares to nothing to this woman who has not stopped worshiping me and, and preparing me for my burial. He's like, well, you know I'm a scholar. You know I am someone of royalty because you put me on a pedestal in your own eyes. And since you know this, you know that the custom says you are to greet somebody and you are to give them a basin to at least wash their feet in, at least wash their hands in before they even eat the food that you're about to give them. You're supposed to treat them as royalty. You haven't done that. And he says, but this woman, this woman that you call a harlot, this woman that you constantly blast her, her sexual innuendos out on the Internet about this woman has done that and have not stopped. But because she's doing that, her debt is forgiven while you are still here being haughty and prideful about something that does not concern you. Woo, I'm sorry. I felt that. Let me stick to my manuscript. I'm going to be doing that a lot. Woo, okay. And so in John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, that's a big chunk of, of, of meat, y'all. Uh, John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42, Jesus encounters the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And he asked her for a drink, 
right? Uh, now, here's the thing. In Jewish culture, it was believed and almost forced upon you that if you socialized with anyone that was not Jewish, then you were in, you were considered an outcast just like them. Yet Jesus was the one that enjoyed breaking the rules. Let me tell you, Jesus was a rule breaker. Jesus was like, I don't care about these rules. You're not going to ostracize my friend. Like, we, we, we break rules around here. <laughs> that was Jesus, right? And so Jesus enjoyed breaking the rules. And so he asked this woman for a drink of water. And to her surprise, and also because of how she's been treated by Jews, she was very nasty. And she said, why are you asking me for a drink when you're a Jew? Like, don't you know the rules? Like, you don't ask me for nothing to drink. You don't come to me for anything while you're here. You right? Um, but it sparked a conversation with Jesus about ideology, relationship, and friendship with God, right? Jesus took him to say, well, let's just have a conversation, right? And he helped this woman understand that it does not matter where you were born. It does not matter your ethnicity, whether you're black, brown, blue, green, Hispanic, white, Australian, whatever you were, whatever your ethnicity is. He said it doesn't matter. He said, but all that matters is that as believers in Christ Jesus, we are going to be together worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Right? That was the whole conversation. And it, it, it broke down some barriers for her, right? And during this encounter with the woman, the disciples came back and were astounded that he was talking to a Samaritan, right? But they were more astounded that uh, he was talking to a woman because you were never to be alone with a woman uh, in, in, in those times, right? But that conversation with the Samaritan woman it broke down some horrible uh, uh, morals and some horrible ideologies and thought patterns that she was taught and, and, and that she was um, given as a Samaritan, right? She couldn't talk to Jews, right? On top of that, whatever she was going through in her own city, she was condemned as a harlot. She was condemned as, you know, um, the homewrecker. Because she slept with almost every man that she had, right? And Jesus said, well, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And God said, no, you're correct. Because the man you're with right now is not even your husband, right? So he broke that down. He broke down and said, well, yes, you might worship on this mountain. And yes, I might worship on this mountain. We both worship God. And God is the one that's going to bring us together. We both worship Jesus. We both worship uh, 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 the, the, the creator of the world whose name is Yahweh. But there's coming a time where it's not going to matter your ethnicity. It's not going to matter your race. It's not going to matter uh, 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 whatever degree you got, whether you know Bible or not, whether you're an electrician or not. It doesn't matter your status. Jesus was letting her know that, baby, that does not matter. What you attach to yourself does not matter. What matters is that as believers in Jesus, we will all see the, we will all worship him in spirit and in truth, right? And, but he was also getting at her heart saying, well, that's what you've been, 
that, that's what you've seen, right? You've seen church people just own you. You've seen church people don't talk to you. You've seen church people say, oh, you're this. I don't want to deal with you. He's like, no, let's deal with that right now. Because we got to get to the root of that in order for us to go to the next thing, right? And it shocked the disciples because they're just like, Joe, why are you talking to this woman? Let alone a woman, but why are you talking to this Samaritan, right? And when she ran off to tell everybody about Jesus and she became the first evangelist in her own city to be like, come and, and, and come meet me. Come with me to the well. I just met a dude that just told me everything about me. I ain't never met him. He just revealed himself to me through the word of knowledge and 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 and, and the word of God, right? And, and a revival broke out in that city, right? But when she left, the disciples came to Jesus and was like, what is wrong with you? Why are you talking to this woman? And Jesus had to break that down again in their mind and said, yo, look, yes, you are Jewish. Yes, you know the word, but look, I say to you, open up your eyes and look at the fields and see that they are right for harvest, right? What Jesus was trying to get to his disciples was that they needed to look past the natural barrier of what they were seeing, right? They needed to look past the barrier of Jews and Samaritans as enemies, but they needed to see everyone that he was about to send them to as part of the coalition for the gathering of the kingdom of God. He said, y'all have to get, y'all got to get past this. Y'all got to get past this because when I die and I go away and I send the comforter and the Holy Ghost to you, it's going to cause you to go to some places that you don't want to go to. It's going to cause you to talk to some people that you don't want to talk to. It's going to cause you to minister to some people that don't want to talk to you, that don't want nothing to do with you. But because you're a representation of me and because the Holy Ghost is inside of you, it's going to propel them to sit there and really listen to what you got to say. But you got to get past this mindset of, of this is a Samaritan, this is a Jew, this is a a, a Catholic, this is a Protestant, this is the, 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 you got to get past that, right? That's what he said, you got to get past it because there are people longing for the truth. There are people longing to be set free. There are people whose hearts are on fire and they're longing to hear the word of God, but you got to get past it, right? And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 51 to 56, right, it tells us a story of Jesus. Um, it, it tells us the story of Jesus trying, Jesus and his disciples trying to uh, go from, where are they trying to go from? Um... Oh, it doesn't tell us. Okay, well, let me keep just keep on going. So either way, in this passage, Jesus is trying to get to Jerusalem. Right? And in order for him to do that, he has to go through Samaria. And so um, as he's trying to get through Samaria, the Samaritans are like, we don't want you go somewhere else. The Samaritans are like, go somewhere else. You're not welcome here. Bye. And it bothered the disciples so much, the Bible tells us that James and John said, God, can we call down fire on them? Because this too much. And they're making us travel the longer way, and we don't want to do that, right? 
to which Jesus rebukes them. Right? He rebukes them. Um, let me let me stick to my manuscript. I'm gonna say that a lot because uh, <laughs> I could get off track, right? He rebukes them, um, but his rebuke was getting at their heart and their mental ideology and morality about how they felt about their brothers and sisters of the faith, right? He was letting them know that while you have power to command the wind and the waves, you have you have power, right? Jesus said, I've given you power to tread upon serpents. I've given you power to cast out devils in my name. I've given you power to heal the sick. And I've given you power to raise the dead. He says, you have power. And while it is great that you have this power, he says, he, he, he says in a way, you trying to, you know, use it to, to, to disintegrate a town because they don't want, they don't want you walking through their city. He said, that ain't how you act. That is not how you act. He said, and if you do it, it's going to be blood on your hands, not mine. Right? Um, and he was also, while he was correcting them in their hearts, he was correcting them in their mindset. He was correcting them of the, of the pharisaical and the sadducitical lessons that they've been taught in church. He was correcting that spirit. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees were very prideful, like I said. Right? They were ones... That did not like anyone, that did not act like them, that did not talk like them, that did not dress like them, that did not read like them, that did not hold up the law. And they especially did not like Samaritans. They, the Pharisees and Sadducees taught prideful, racist, vile theology in the synagogues. And every Jew from Jerusalem to Judea. Uh, it was taught that they could not go anywhere near Samaritans. And if the Pharisees and Sadducees found out, they were outcasted. Right? They were outcasted. And so Jesus was also pointing something out to the disciples, too, as another very important lesson. He said that just because someone keeps you out of something does not mean you have the right to throw judgment on them. For doing so makes you no better than them, and it brings you down lower past their level, and it makes people question your witness, right? Why do you think the Pharisees and the Sadducees, whenever they, whenever they taught, whenever they did uh, uh, um, sacrifices on the altar, no one believed them. No, no one believed them. No one interacted with them, and no one came to synagogue. Why? Because they were judgmental. They were prideful. They demoted people. And the same Jews who went to synagogue every day and eventually stopped coming said, their witness is not credible. Their witness is not representing Jesus, right? So, yeah, this is the same thing that happened to Paul and Peter in Galatians chapter 2, 11 to 14. Sorry, y'all. My throat got a little, a little dry. Um, and so Galatians chapter 11 to 14 reads this. It says, But when Cephas, who is Paul, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he used to eat with Gentiles before certain men from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. 
Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were that, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, "If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and are not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews?" Right. So what Paul was saying is uh, to Peter, you know, I'm calling you out because you are a false witness to the Gentiles. He said, I'm calling you out because you are completely ignoring and ridiculing them uh, uh, once you're in the presence of other Jews. I'm calling you out because you have now even influenced Barnabas, who now has turned his face and said, oh, if Peter does it, I can do it too. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, Peter, you don't went too far. How can you sit up here and say you are a Jew? How can you sit up here and say you are a Christian? How can you sit up here? He says, you walked and you talked with Jesus himself. You're the only one that had a close relationship with Jesus. You're the only one that saw him raise the dead. You're the only one that saw him break bread and you saw him transfigured twice. You saw him transfigured twice. You're the only one that saw him baptize you in the Holy Ghost with you and your friends. How can you sit up here and call yourself a follower of Jesus and a Jew, but yet when other Jews come around, you sitting with the Gentiles, you'll just straight get up and walk away and act like there was nothing to see. He's like, no, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. And he says, I'm judging you by your fruit. You can't do that. Right? And so what Paul is letting us know is that uh, uh, Peter is tainting his witness to others by his actions and that his morals are in the wrong place. For everyone that is a Christian has a seat at the Lord's table. This is what Paul is telling him. Paul is like, if I'm going to be your brother in Christ, I'm calling you out. If I'm going to be your friend in Christ, I'm calling you out. Right? That's why the question is, what's in your heart? Because you can sit up here and say, oh, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, with your mouth. But your heart has to say, your heart and your heart has to say, oh, no, I really do love the Lord and I'm going to show it through my actions. Right? This is why Jesus um, cursed the fig tree. Because it looked like a fig tree. He went to grab a fig and yet there was nothing on the tree. And he said, you will grow nothing anymore for the rest of your life. Right? Paul is saying the same thing. He's like, you say you're a Christian, but your actions don't do it. Your heart says something else because you completely isolate the Gentiles that you just sat here and fellowshiped with. Right? So here's question number two. What are your actions speaking? Jesus' story declares that the Samaritan was moved with compassion and that his heart broke to see his fellow traveler in distress and half dead. So he took care of the man and paid for his stay in the inn. The Samaritan went into action without a second thought. So my question to you is, when you're asked about something or you've been prompted to do something, can you go into action without a second thought? Right? And sadly, in the 21st century, that is not the case for the church. The church is more like the priests and the Levite who do their assignment and keep on moving. 
The church talks more about what happened, what should not have happened, and what the outcome should have been, or what the outcome or what such and such should have had happened, right? It's as if the church has completely forgotten that everyone on the earth was formed and fashioned in the same image and in the same likeness of God. Uh, it is as if the church has forgotten that we all breathe the same breath as Yahweh himself breathed into Adam, right? Uh, the Hebrew word for breathe is ruk. Some, con some, some translate it as ruk or kodesh, but you can find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 29. It's as if the church has forgotten that we have all breathed in the same breath of God. Right? So then racism has completely stained, racism and disrespect, right, has completely stained the church. That the church has lost its salt and its light. According to Matthew chapter 5, 13 to 16, Jesus is preaching to the crowd and compares them to salt and light. Right? Telling them that they are they are the only witnesses that a lot of people are going to find in this lonely, dark world. But if we aren't doing our jobs as witnesses, then there is no point for anyone to follow us as we follow Christ. So, let's expound upon salt and light. Salt is a substance that everyone loves. And they love to add it to their food. It brings out the hidden taste buds. And it makes the food one that uh, is more desirable to eat. So what Jesus is telling the crowd is that as followers of him, we are to be desirable to the palate of those on the outside through our righteous acts. Light is an illumination. As we all know, light causes what is dark to be brightened. And that is also a symbolism for happiness, love, joy, and peace. Basically, the fruit of the Spirit. People are attracted to our light, or as this new generation will call it, they're attracted to our energy. But our light cannot shine any brighter than what we allow it if we are not walking what we are talking and preaching about. The first three chapters of James helps explain Matthew chapter 5, 13, and 16. James chapter 1, 21 to 26 says to get rid of anything that uh, could taint our witness because it will cause us to be like a man who looked in the mirror one moment and the next moment doesn't remember anything of what he just saw. Uh, and James calls us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. James chapter 2, 1 through 13 tells us that we are not to be partial to people of a certain status, like those of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but we are to treat everyone with the same respect, regardless of status, relationship, religious beliefs, ideologies, or even theologies, right? Finally, James chapter 3, 1 through 12 tells us that, we, that when we speak, we have power. And that whatever we say can either build up or can either destroy quickly, like a fire that has been set ablaze. James tells us that both sweet and salty, 
sweet and sour cannot occupy the same stream of water. And so as I close this question, I want to leave you with 1 John 4, 11 through 16 and 20, 21, 22, 21, which says, how can we say we love the Lord who we do not see at all? But we have ought with our brother and our sisters who we see every day. How can we say we exude the love of God and he is in us, yet we look at others with hatred and malice in our heart, right? So, question number three. What are you filling yourself with? Not feeling. What are you feeling? If you were to drink liquor, you will be filling yourself with liquor. That's an example. If you're offended by it, oh well. What are you filling yourself with, right? What you feed yourself, you end up demonstrating. Let me get a drink of water. This is good. Both the water and this is good. <laughs> uh, but what are you filling yourself with? What you feed yourself, you end up demonstrating, right? What you practice, you end up producing. In other words, what you do in secret must be the same in public. In Matthew 20, 23, Lord, I cannot read my own right in the day. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 25 to 28, Jesus calls out the theological rulers for not being consistent in their spiritual walk. In fact, he calls them empty graves with nothing to show but the cleanliness of the outside. That has to be the coldest burn from Jesus ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, you ain't nothing but an empty grave. And all you got to show for it is the outside that look nice. Ooh, I would not want to be... Uh, I would not want to be walking with Jesus back then. I could not take it. Right? Um, it's uh, in the same way the church has imitated the scripture to a T, right? The church has filled itself with everything from the news to the radio, but we're empty. The church has filled itself with envy, hatred, prejudice, anger, while also presenting itself to the public as a well put together oiled machine, and it is about to crash. If anything, the church has completely done the opposite of what Paul tells the church of Ephesus to do in Ephesians 4, 26-27 and 29-32. It has completely done the opposite of Colossians 3 and 8. So, for those of us that don't know what I'm talking about, let's read it. So, Ephesians 4, 26-32 uh, reads this. It says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Right? It says, um, No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only that which is good for the building up of someone in need, in order to give grace to those to hear. And don't grieve the Lord's Holy Spirit, who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from your lips, along with all wickedness. And to be kind and compassionate to one another, 
forgiving one another just as God forgave you in Christ. That's Ephesians, right? Colossians tells us this, chapter 3, verse 8, which says, but, if you, but you now must put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. It says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his practices, right? So, if we're crashing and burning as a church, we've done completely the opposite of what Paul has said, right? Right? If we are constantly filling ourselves up with the fruit of the, fruit of the flesh, according to Galatians 5, 19 and 21, right? Then we as the church need to sit down. And allow Satan to just continue to run the earth until Jesus comes back. If not, then we need to fill ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. If not, then we need to fill ourselves with love. If not, then we need to fill ourselves with being careful of what we watch, being careful of what we say, being careful of what we eat, being careful of what we drink. And not only that, our actions need to be loving. They need to be upbuilding. They need to be truthful honorable, and of justice, right? That's what Paul is telling us. Um, we cannot constantly call ourselves both followers of Christ. doesn't matter if we're Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, if we are AME, if we are um, uh, non-denominational, interdenominational, evangelical. We cannot call ourselves followers of Christ. If we are constantly speaking curses to one another, if we're constantly speaking curses to someone else because of ethnicity, culture, or, or, or uh, 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 an own personal agenda, right? We cannot call ourselves Christians. If we're not feeding ourselves the word, if we're not feeding ourselves the word, if we're not feeding ourselves the fruit of the spirit, if we're not feeding ourselves the perfume of Christ, if we're not feeding ourselves the beauty for ashes, if we're not feeding ourselves the living word, if we're not feeding ourselves the honey and milk, if we're not feeding ourselves the meat of the passage, if we're not feeding ourselves up with the spirit of God from this which we call the holy word, one, we're giving God a black eye. And two, we're just, we're, we are fulfilling Satan's agenda. And that's not what we want, right? So the Samaritan in the story ministered to the traveler out of his overflow. His ministry was one of healing and love. Now, the complete ending of the story is placed in the hands of the religious leader. His response to Jesus and the way he responded to Jesus lets us know that he had some soul searching to do and a heart issue to address. Right? If we think about this entire message tonight, uh, this message, uh, yes, is about loving your neighbor. Sorry. Rewind. Let me reread that. If we think about this entire message, and if we thought that it was about loving our neighbor, then we are absolutely wrong. The entire message is about taking a look within ourselves to see what it is that is inside of us that we need to ask God to clean up and get out. 
Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive in me and lead me to the way of everlasting life. Uh, a reminder of that is in Acts chapter 10, verses 3, verses 9 to 36. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 36. God rebukes Peter for telling him that certain things were unclean for him to eat. Right? God tells him, that which I make clean, you can eat. Uh, but Peter later reiterates this to Cornelius, a Roman centurion. And says something miraculous that everyone should hear tonight. He said, in truth, I find. Oh, okay, we good. Okay, we good. We back. All right. Sorry, YouTube, Instagram had some troubles. Uh, Peter, Peter said, in truth, I see that God shows no partiality. Rather, in every nation, whoever fears him and acts uprightly is acceptable in his sight. Did you get that? I love it. He said, God shows no partiality. And if the creator of the universe shows no partiality, then why are we the creations that he created constantly dividing each other against one another? Black against black, white against white, black against white, Latin against black, Asian against black, and all the other races and ethnicities combined. Why is it that the church is divided amongst itself? Why is it that at one moment the church calls itself, that calls um that calls a non-believer who votes Democrat a heathen or someone who votes Republican a heathen. Why is it that the church is one moment on fire for the savior of a president used by God? But then the next moment, they are cursing and calling people um, the Antichrist, Right? If we are Christians, why are we hurting one another because of a, of a political party? Why are we hurting one another because we listen to this music? Why are we hurting one another because, oh, I watch this TV show? Why are we hurting one another because, oh, I read this book? Don't get me wrong. Should we be careful of what we take into our spirits? Yes, by all means. But if someone's a Christian and they've been okay by God to read this or they've been okay by God to vote this and they've been okay by God to listen to this, that is not our concern anymore. Our concern at this point is to still minister, is to still minister the word of God. Our concern is to still minister the love of God. Our concern is to still minister from the overflow like the Samaritan did. At that point, the Samaritan did not care that, oh, you're a Jew. You're on the side of the road. No. The Samaritans say, you need help. And at this point, I don't care about our religious ideologies. I don't care if my skin tone is different than your skin tone. You about to die. Let me help you, right? And if a Samaritan can do that, why can't we, the church, do the same thing? It's time for the church to ask God to search us and clean us out. 
because we need a washing like never before. It's time for the church to uh, ask the Lord, split me open and do surgery. It's time for the church to say, God, I need a cleansing. Make me over, make me over again. David said in Psalms 51, if you find anything that's not like me, remove it. He said, purge me with hyssop. That word purge ain't a good word. It means you, oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. It's like when you have to clean a dish that is consistently just greasy, nothing's going to help it. And you gotta, you got to go to work. And you scrubbing to the point you think you're about to break that thing. That's what purging is. Purge God is scrubbing the residue out of you. He is scrubbing the sin out of you. He is scrubbing the hatred out of you. Until the next time you meet somebody that don't look like you. That don't sound like you. That don't act like you. Instead of you talking about something. Mm, you'll remember. Oh no, I don't want to get scrubbed again. Hey, how are you doing that's what it means to be purged. That's what it means to get scrubbed. And so I ask you again as you go to sleep tonight, as you watch TV, as you begin to read a book, what is in your heart? What's in your heart? Is it something good? Is it something bad? If you look at somebody that might be uh, 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 of a different uh, 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 of, of a different sexuality than you and you don't like them, what's in your heart as to why you don't like them? Ask that question. Ask that question. And my hope and prayer is that the Lord will um, will begin to work on you as he works on me and everyone else. So, uh, thank you guys so much. I do want to pray that uh, before we get off. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for allowing us to come together and to talk and to listen and hear the word. Thank you for allowing us to study the word, to listen to what it is that you have to say, and to 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 receive what it is that you have to say. Search us, God. Remove anything. Remove any hidden thing that's not like us. Help us to love somebody today. Help us to show forth the love of Christ. Help us to show forth the righteousness of Jesus. Help us to be able to look at somebody and say, you are still a child of God. Clean us up and make us over. God, we thank you for today. We bless you, and we pray that everyone has a safe and prosperous day. In the name of Jesus, amen. I love you guys on Instagram. I love you guys on YouTube. Y'all have a phenomenal day. Goodbye. Mwah.